Young, back to throw. In trouble, he's going to be sacked. No, gets away. He runs, gets away again, goes to the 40, gets away again, to the 35, cuts back at the 30, to the 20, the 50, the 10. He dies, touchdown, 49ers. What's up, 49ers faithful? I am Zane Nackvi, back again with Levin Black with another episode of the 49ers Web Zone Know How to Podcast, sponsored by theqbseek.com. For accurate predictions on every NFL matchup and thought-provoking NFL content that can help your fantasy teams or confidence pools, head to theqbseek.com. And another victory podcast, Levin. It feels good, doesn't it? It feels great. We're 3-0. and The Niners, they didn't look great. On Sunday, but they pulled it off, didn't they? Right, and I even said on Twitter that I, I think this win's better for them than going out there and dominating because they faced adversity and they came through. And three and zero Seahawks are two and one, so life's great. It feels good. I I didn't really think that they would when around the time of the fourth turnover. I think I was like, okay, well, this is going to be this is going to be bad. And then the fifth one that hit Richie James in the face as he was motioning past the line in the red zone. I'm like, man. That happened with like six minutes left. I'm like, man, that's it. This is that's it. I mean, they're they're gonna lose, right? And then all of a sudden, Eric Armstead, who's been a beast this year, by the way, punches that ball out, and they recover the fumble, and and they go back down and score. And it's just, man, it was just such an amazing game to to watch and to see how this team has grown because they don't win that game last year. In fact, they played that game last year at home. And Josh Rosen's first start, the Niners turned the ball over five times and lost by ten to the Cardinals. And really, like, this was so different than that game because for a number of reasons that we'll get into, but it was just so different. And the fact that they were able to pull it off is such a huge moment for this team. And I hope I'm not making too much of it, but for me, like, it just, I, I just am really happy to be 3 0, man. Yeah, I think the whole league is uh, smelling what the Niners are cooking to steal a line from George Kittle after the game. Yeah, did you see The Rock actually retweeted that? And like George Kittle's like, oh my God, am I dreaming? It's just <laughs> <laughs> when, when The Rock takes notice of your team, you know, you know it's going well. And uh, it's just one of those things where I think that the, the bye week is upon us and it came at a good time because the Niners have a chance to clean up a lot of these mistakes. And the, the old cliche thing is, oh, the bye week came at a great time. But it really did at this point because they were kind of losing focus and you can see it. And I think that this will be a nice tune up for them to be like, okay, maybe we, we can't think we're that good. And we, we have to be able to pay attention to all these details and all the mistakes that they made were all correctable. They're all correctable things. They're not things where like, Oh, Jimmy read the wrong coverage and he's throwing constantly throwing it to the wrong team or the defense is constantly misreading plays and, and just getting blown off the ball. Like these are all correctable mental errors that they were making. So I'm not really worried about it. I think that they'll be okay coming out of the bye. Yeah, I don't have a whole lot of concern. Uh, I, I would say there's still a little concern there with how careless they have been. I mean, they still have, despite getting seven turnovers in the first three weeks to match last season's total defensively, they still have a negative one turnover differential because the offense has turned it over eight times. Granted, five came this week, but there's a little bit of concern there um, that they do need to clean it up. It, there are teams, even though uh, I said on Twitter during the game that they're not skill or talent-based turnovers so or mistakes. So there's positive in there. But at the same time, you have seen teams that make mental errors consistently. And hopefully this team gets out of, the, out of their own way, really. Because if it's just talent and skill, they should win against 
pretty much any team in the league. They're capable, at least, of beating any team in the league. So there's a little bit of concern there, but not a lot. And really, 3-0 and going into the bye week, I don't care how the games went. If you told me the Niners were going to be 3-0 and going into the bye week, I would have said I don't care if they win ugly, they dominate, whatever. 3-0 and is 3-0. and You know who else is really pleased with this start? Rob Guerrero. And he's a guy that is a big 49ers fan that we had on the show last year that we've been talking to on and off. And, and uh, we were able to get him on the show again and, uh, and to talk to him about how the game went and, and his thoughts on what the outlook of the 49ers is. So um, for those of you who don't know Rob Guerrero, he's the executive producer of NBC Sports Radio and NBCSN's Pro Football Talk Live with Mike Florio. And uh, he's a huge Niners fan. And... He has a lot of really interesting stuff to say that I think Niners fans are going to like to hear. So without further ado, here is Rob. Stats, it's been about a year since we had you on, man, and it is awesome to talk to you again. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and man, so much has happened over the course of the last year. I mean, so much has happened over the course of the last week. Uh, before we get into like the specifics, what do you have to say about that last game on Sunday against Pittsburgh that the 49ers played? Uh, look, it obviously wasn't, you know, what you would have hoped for going in, but that's a game without question that last year's team doesn't win the year before that doesn't win. They don't win that game since Jim Harbaugh was there and maybe not even then. it was an incredible performance by an offense that couldn't get out of its own way until it absolutely had to. And when they needed to in crunch time, they delivered. They did. And when it comes down to it, like you look at the five turnovers and that's going to be the story of the game that they they overcame. But if you kind of break it down a little bit, Mason Rudolph of of the Steelers, he only made two real throws. He made that long throw, well, that the long catch and run to to Juju and the long throw to Johnson at the the end of the game to to take the lead. I mean, really, aside from that, like he had less than 100, uh, if I'm not mistaken, less than 100 yards passing, right? I completely agree. It was a smothering performance by the 49ers defense. And the one deep ball he got on, on Verrett, who hasn't played football in like three years and clearly didn't know what the hell he was doing out there. So, yeah, I look at it as a as a terrible performance by Mason Rudolph, a great performance by the 49ers defense, who through three games has clearly been the strength of the team so far this season. Yeah, and it seems like they're winning in different ways. Like they seem like they're they won the first game with the defense, and the second game was the offense, and the third game was the defense. So, without really getting too much into to what's going to happen after the bye week, because we don't really know what the what the uh, Browns are going to do this week, but they're gonna they're gonna perform well, right? That's the al- that's the alternating sort of uh, pattern they have here, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the defense second yards allowed in the league. Seventh in pass yards allowed, seventh in rush yards allowed, ninth in points allowed per game. I mean, the defense is incredible, and it all starts up front with that defensive line. It's finally functioning the way that so many 49er fans had hoped and so many 49er general managers had hoped it would. They're getting pressure with the front four, and that's allowing the rest of the team to stay back in coverage, which they really need because if you look, honestly, at corner, this team is not super strong, but it's functioning the way it was built to function so far. Right, and getting into the specifics of the game, with Jimmy Garoppolo in particular, you know, there's some questions still about Jimmy coming into this season. Uh, he had some critics, especially after the first game and especially in the preseason. But he stood in there in this game and he made that, you know, last minute touchdown pass to Dante Pettis. Faced pressure all day, faced the blitz, 
all day from Pittsburgh. Do you feel like the questions about whether Jimmy is for real are put to rest now? Uh, well, I don't want to say put to rest because I am a Jimmy fan, but he still makes like one throw a game where I just wonder if he gets up to the line of scrimmage and just decides like I'm throwing to this guy. I don't care what happens. And he does it. And it, it, sometimes the defense catches it and sometimes they don't. But I, it still makes me question him sometimes. But I think this was arguably his best game as the 49er quarterback. He was hit six times in the first half. I think a couple more times in the second half. Hurried seven times. He stood in there and took some huge shots. A couple shots to the head that weren't even called, actually. I think Bud Dupree got him once up high. Mm-hmm. Uh, he stayed in there and played tough and hung in there and really helped the offense continue to move the chains. And that's something that Kyle Shanahan talked about before Jimmy G was ever with the 49ers. When they were still looking for a quarterback, they would ask Kyle, what do you look for most in a quarterback? And he would always say, without question, fearlessness. And Jimmy Garoppolo showed that on Sunday without question, maybe more than he ever has. To, to follow up on that, what do you say to the people that constantly talk about Kyle Shanahan scheming guys open like oh Jimmy Garoppolo's performance is just a product of Kyle Shanahan's scheme like isn't that what a coach is supposed to do isn't that what Josh McDaniels does for Tom Brady isn't that what Sean Payton does for Drew Brees like a good coach schemes guys open am I am I wrong in saying that no I'm so glad you said that because that was something that I wanted to talk about I mean First of all, I don't know why that people try and separate the two, right? Jimmy Garoppolo is never going to have to quarterback a game without Kyle Shanahan. Shanahan's not going to pull a hammy when he's coming up with the game plan for Cleveland in two weeks. I don't understand this, but people always try and separate it, except when Jimmy plays bad, right? When Jimmy plays bad, it's his fault. When he, when he does well, it's Kyle Shanahan scheming guys open. I mean, he, he really can't win. It's kind of frustrating as a Niner fan. One thing that I think has surprised people early in the season is how well Jimmy Garoppolo has moved coming off that knee injury. You know, he wasn't necessarily known as a, a mobile quarterback, obviously, uh, but even coming off the knee injury, it seems like it, his mobility is there. He escaped a lot of blitzes there that he even got the ball out and, and was able to break some tackles, uh, especially towards the end when the kind of clutch factor got in there and he did some of those Houdini acts getting away from the rush. Are you surprised how mobile he's been so far? I was surprised even before he got hurt and definitely surprised now afterwards. There was that one play in the red zone where he, I mean, he was sacked. I don't know how he got out of it. And he extended the play. It was third down. And I believe the Steelers ended up getting a defensive holding penalty because of it. And that extended the drive. I mean, he reminds me of Tony Romo in that way. He's very elusive back there. You don't really expect it. But, I mean, he even said after the game that he is not thinking about the knee. It's you know, it's not on his mind. It was in OTAs and it was in the preseason, he said, which is not surprising. But now he seems to be over it. And that's what they're going to need, especially with Joe Staley going to miss a number of games going forward. So with this wide receiver group now kind of not really having a number one receiver, it's kind of like wide receiver by committee. Jimmy really doesn't have a guy that he throws to all the time. And maybe that's a good thing because he's not forcing it to any one guy he kind of goes for the open receiver and, and whoever is, is going to come open on their route first. Going forward, is this group really going to have a number one receiver or is it going to be more of the same where it's just a receiver by committee type of thing? I think the team is hoping that Debo Samuel eventually develops into that, but this season, they're, they just it's not there yet. I mean, Kittle is, is the number one target. And that's something that does worry me a little bit because I do think that there's going to come a point when 
the play will break down or the protection will break down and they're going to need a big play and Jimmy's going to have to throw it up to somebody. And Kittle more than likely is going to be double covered. And I just don't know if this team has someone that when the play breaks down and Jimmy just has to chuck it up there, can they go up and make a play in traffic in crunch time? We haven't, we don't know. They may, that Debo may be that guy, but we don't know yet. And we haven't seen that yet. And I worry about that going forward a little bit. Right. And, and, there is one guy that has not played yet that maybe could develop into that. I was wanting to get your opinion on Jalen Hurd and, and what you saw from him in his brief stint in preseason and whether you think he could actually be a, a producing weapon. Yeah, I'm excited to get, to get the chance to see him. I think it's going to take him a, a few weeks to sort of work in there, you know, as anyone that is in this complicated offense usually needs. But the thing I liked about him was after the catch, I mean, the physicality. I mean, you know, you could see the former running back there whenever he has the ball in the open field he, he does not shy away from contact he runs people over and we know Kyle's going to find ways to get him the ball and if his strength is what he does after that point I think this team you know could be in good shape they're adding another weapon that can make a play with the ball in his hands so when Trent Taylor comes back and Jalen Hurd comes back you have a log jam a wide receiver who's going to be the who's going to be the odd man out here Oh, man, that is a good question. Uh, I mean, early in training camp, I was hearing that the team wasn't happy with Kendrick Bourne. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that, you know, look, Dante Pettis was in the doghouse at one point. And he caught the game-winning touchdown catch on Sunday. So, you know, things can change depending on how practice goes. Mm-hmm. But I think Bourne is a possibility. And if Trent Taylor is back and he's at full strength, I wonder about Richie James because he they kind of serve the same purpose, right? The slot guy with some wiggle that mm-hmm. can, you know, get off man coverage and you know, sort of be that Julian Edelman type guy. I don't know if the team needs two of them, especially with Jalen Hurd, who's going to be in the slot some too. So he, Richie James and Kendrick Bourne are the two guys I look at that maybe will have to worry if Trent is back. Right. And transitioning to the, to the running backs here, the running game has been perhaps the biggest strength of the offense. Uh, They're in the top five for rushing yards so far this season, uh, team wise. And it's not just one guy. There's been, three guys producing each and every week, but four guys overall are in the mix. Speaking of Jeff Wilson, who's playing currently just because Devin Coleman is hurt being promoted off the practice squad, but he has four touchdowns now in two games seems to have really defined himself as that goal line back. But at the same time, Tevin Coleman could be back as soon as after the bye week. What do you see the Niners doing with the running backs and specifically Jeff Wilson once Tevin Coleman is back. Well, I agree with you. Jeff Wilson has provided something that this team needs, and that is a short yardage goal line guy. And I love Matt Breida. He's amazing, but he seems to be allergic to the end zone, especially in short yardage situations. They need that guy that can stick it in there. And so what I hope happens is I hope they keep four running backs. I hope they keep and I hope they say goodbye to C.J. Beathard. I don't know what C.J. Beathard is doing on this roster. I don't know what Kyle Shanahan sees in him. His greatest ability seems to be the ability to take a hit. He's great at getting tackled, but he's not great at throwing <laughs> the football. They don't need him. They have Jimmy. They have Nick Mullins. He, he, to me, he's taking up a roster spot, and I would much rather see the, the team keep the running backs because you know, chances are, one of those guys is going to get nicked up along the way anyway. And, and for C.J. Beathard to be the third quarterback doesn't make sense to me. And not only that, they are taking up one of those offensive line spots. Like Justin School 
He obviously being the rookie, the left tackle filling in for Joe Staley. They they re-signed Sam Young. It's like they need they need depth on the offensive line. And it just is it doesn't make any sense to me that CJ Beathard is there as the third quarterback on the roster, basically inactive on game days when they can use that roster spot on an extra offensive lineman. Now, keeping with that kind of same sort of theme, how did you think Justin School did in his first start as a, as a or first start of his career? Period. He's a rookie. I, I it was better than I thought it was going to be. Honestly, I was really worried coming into this game, especially because Pittsburgh, I think, led the league in sacks last year. Or they've been up in the top two. They mm. can rush the passer, and you know, I mean. Once you see that Justin School is in, that's a huge bullseye on him. Every defensive coordinator is going to target him. And he did have a couple penalties, but I thought all in all, he held up really well. I mean, I was legitimately nervous when Joe Staley went down. He was one of the guys I had targeted in the beginning of the year as like, okay, he's the one, you know, one of those three guys maybe that they really can't lose, especially when Sean Coleman went down. So school you know he held up well enough, which is funny because if you read sort of the comments about him after he was drafted, that's pretty much what everybody said. I think one of the comments that I even tweeted out was basically like, he might get beat, but he'll take so long getting beat that the quarterback will have time to get the ball off. <laughs> and it might not look pretty, but that's ultimately what you want your line to do. And he did it well enough on Sunday. So speaking of offensive line, fumble snap uh, by Jimmy Garoppolo when Western Richburg oh. and him couldn't get the exchange. Center's fault or quarterback's fault? Uh <laughs> 50-50. I mean, look, centers have a tough job, um, but at the same time, like you, especially especially in the red zone, I'm not going to put it on one guy. I'm putting it on both guys. Like you got to get it right. You just had it's basic basic stuff here. And not only are you preventing a touchdown, you're preventing a field goal. That's a huge huge swing. And you know this team is going to make mistakes that you know we saw with the screen pass where it gets bobbled in the air or Jimmy's other interception went and went off Dante Pettis' hands. Like Those things are going to happen. The center quarterback exchange on a sunny day with no weather, that can't happen. They got to get that fixed. So speaking of those picks that Jimmy threw real quick before we move to the defense, I, I mean, I tend to think that kind of like it's a 50-50 thing for me too where those things were half on the receiver, partly on Jimmy. But I mean, for those people that are blaming it all on Jimmy, what do you, what do you say to that? I don't get it. I, I almost feel like he's graded differently than other quarterbacks. It was such a weird swing, right? 2017, mm. he comes in, he wins all those games. Everybody says, oh, he's great. He's going to be a top 10 quarterback. And then he plays okay for three games in 2018. He wasn't terrible. He was mm. okay. And all of a sudden, you know, people are down on him. Oh, he's terrible. They never should have paid him. And now I feel like it's the same thing. Anytime he does anything good, nobody says anything. Anytime he does something that's, you know, just average or bad, people crush him. And in the screen pass, was it 100% accurate? No. Did it hit Breida in the hands? Absolutely. That should not be an interception. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't. It seems like we've totally swung the other way with Jimmy Garoppolo, where now we don't like him anymore, and we're looking for ways to bash him. I think that's kind of the, the norm for 49ers fans. It's just, you, you just love the backup more. It just goes back to the, the Joe and Steve days, right? You just love the backup more. And it carried through through uh, Alex Smith and Tim Rattay. And then it carried through to uh, Kaepernick and Alex Smith. And it's just, it's just kind of like a, a Niner thing. There will always be a, contra, a con quarterback controversy here in San Francisco. It's, it's, just, it's just weird to me. Yeah, it's, I mean... You know, the, the backup quarterback is always the most popular guy. I mean, I can remember distinctly watching Alex Smith on Monday Night Football and hearing the, the home crowd chant, we want Carr. And that was David Carr, which I'll never forget. And sadly, I kind of wanted to see David Carr at that point, too. But 
No, I mean, people, you know, it's so funny to me. Sam Darnold, everyone says, oh, the Jets found their franchise quarterback. They found their franchise quarterback. Well, he's got more starts than Jimmy Garoppolo. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, I know Garoppolo's older, but look at the number of games Garoppolo has started. That's what counts. I mean, he's basically still a rookie if you look at it in terms of starts. So it's not going to be totally smooth sailing with Jimmy G, and he's coming back from a major injury. So I think people need to stop the whole evaluating his career on a game-by-game basis and just look at the progression. Where did he start at the beginning of the year, and where do we see him developing and ending up by the end of the year? And stats, man, what people need to start doing is respecting this defense because yes. they are fast. They hit hard. They create turnovers. In my opinion, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just an onlooker, right? Like, I'm just an outside person, right? Like, from the outside, they look lead. But in your opinion, what would they have to do to be considered to be elite? What would they have to accomplish to be, in your mind, elite? Well, I think they're going to have the opportunity. And what they're going to have to accomplish is they're going to have to shut down some really top-notch quarterbacks and some top-notch offenses. And if you look at the schedule coming up, they're going to have their fill because they got the bye week this week, then Cleveland, who hasn't played well, but they have elite talent. You know, Odell Beckham Jr., Baker Mayfield, I think is up and coming, obviously Landry there as well. But then the Rams game, I mean, Sean McVay, in terms of offensive minds, you know, he's right there with Kyle and anybody in the game. I'm interested to see what they do against Cliff Kingsbury. And, you know, I don't know what the hell that offense is, but I'd be interested to see how they stop it. The Ravens game, the Packers game. So they're going to have elite offenses coming up. They'll have the opportunity. And if they can play against them the way they've played so far, I think people will start to notice that, you know what, this defense is for real. Uh, it's, it's just a monster, a set of monsters up front that is getting so much pressure. I couldn't believe how much pressure they were getting on Mason Rudolph. I mean, D Ford was only on the field, I think, for 16 snaps. And I think four or five of them had massive impact on the game. Mm-hmm. Third and four, right before halftime, the Steelers are driving. You know, the, it was six to three. Maybe they want to add a field goal or a touchdown. D Ford comes in, sack, fumble. Good night. That's the end of that drive. You know, on the final drive, first down, he. He and Bosa completely collapsed the right side of the offensive line, totally shut down that play. Anytime the 49ers needed a big play, I felt like D Ford was there, even in limited snaps, and which is exactly, by the way, why they got him. And speaking of D Ford, like you mentioned, you know, he only played 16 snaps, and that's because he has uh, a knee issue that's going to linger probably all season. But in a theoretical situation where he's unable to go, are, are you confident in the backups? It really seems like. Uh, the depth there has been key so far this season, first with Bosa's ankle and now with Ford's knee. Are, are you happy with what you've seen so far out of somebody like Ronald Blair? Yes, absolutely. And I think Ronald Blair is benefiting from the other guys that are around him. You know, it's one thing to have Ronald Blair when DeForest Buckner is still there and maybe Armstead's on one side of him. You know, you need that support around you, but he's taking advantage of it. I mean, you need that because that's the whole 49ers defensive scheme, right? They want to rotate in the defensive linemen so that everybody remains fresh throughout the game. And if Blair can do that, I don't think he can be counted on you know, without that support around him. But with those guys there, he's a very effective piece and he's being used very effectively as well. Now, one thing on that defense, uh, not to dwell on the negative, but it hasn't been perfect. And we did see the one big play against Pittsburgh where Juju you know, took off and got that long touchdown. 
And in particular on that play, it seemed like Tavarius Moore took a very bad angle. Now, obviously, he's a very inexperienced free safety, but do you see maybe not him specifically, but that safety group as the weakness right now? Yes. Um, one, because just their experience playing together, and two, because of health. You know, I, I think that, and they sort of go hand in hand, right? They haven't really been able to have a cohesive unit back there. And so they haven't had a lot of time together. And I think that's part of it. I think, you know, Obviously, you need to know your plays and your assignments, but there's also you, there's a feel for certain things, where certain guys are going to be, how they're going to play certain coverages. You know, maybe you make a little adjustment on the fly. You, you know, you give a guy a no right before the snap. There's things like that that they haven't been able to iron out. And, you know, Witherspoon misses the tackle on that juju play, the bad angle, like you mentioned, and 75 yards later, touchdown city. And at that point, you know, the 49ers were there was a lot of game left, but you were thinking, man, we could lose this game. And it just happens that quickly. Now, speaking of a killer Weatherspoon, it was just mentioned by Kyle Shannon this week that he's going to be missing at least a month with a foot sprain. And that's a big loss for this secondary that is largely besides Richard Sherman inexperienced. And really Witherspoon, you could argue was playing the best out of that entire group this season so far in this, in these first three games. What are they going to do to replace him? Is it going to be somebody on the roster, or do you expect them to maybe look at somebody who's a free agent or a trade? You're absolutely right about Witherspoon. As bad as he was last year, he's been that good this year. I don't know what happened last year because everyone had high expectations for him going in, and he just didn't fulfill them. But this year, he's been great. He's been using his length and his physical tools, and it's been fantastic. And it's a huge injury for them because, the, like you said, the depth behind him is, it's not good at any level. I mean, Jason Verrett, you know, sort of laughed off what happened, but I'm not laughing. I don't, I mean, the guy hasn't played in how many years and he comes in and immediately gets burned. So Kyle Shanahan said today that, you know, he sort of gave the typical, we'll keep all our doors open, but I think they want to use the guys that they have in house, you know, Jalen Ramsey's like the pipe dream, but look, it's going to take at least two number one draft picks to get Jalen Ramsey. And honestly, I don't think it might even take more than that. And the, the team already gave up the second round pick next year to get D Ford. And I'm not sure that they want to invest all of that money or all of that capital, I should say, in one player, especially because Jalen Ramsey still wants to get to free agency. So he'd finish this year, he'd play the fifth year option next year, and he still wants to hit free agency after that. So you'd have to give up a bunch of stuff to get him and then eventually sign him to a huge deal. I don't know that the 49ers are willing to pay that price. So they're going to try and fix it in-house, and we'll see how it goes. I want to I revisit the Jason Verrett comment for a second here. And when he, when he came into the game, there was a pause. There was a, there was a TV timeout, I believe. And when I saw that Verrett was coming into the game, I actually tweeted out, I was like, I expect the Steelers to very quickly go after Jason Verrett. And right away, they go after him, and there's that long pass interference penalty. And then mm-hmm. the next play right after that, they do, they, they, it's a double move, and Johnson burns Verrett for a touchdown. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, this guy was going to start opposite Sherman? <laughs> like, really? Like, they wanted him to start? It's, it's, it's just so crazy to me that, that they would put him in there and that he wouldn't expect them to right away go after him. This is the guy that was a former pro bowler. Like, are you... Uh, were you not kind of shocked? I, I know I was to see him actually get burned that bad on, on the first two plays that he was in. Yes, because everything that I had heard and, you know, people that I had talked, like even Chris Sims had told me, like, look, when Verrett's healthy, he's an elite owner. He has those kind of skills. His problem mm-hmm. is he's just never healthy. He seems to be healthy now. So I was sort of excited, like, hey, 
the Witherspoon injury hurts, but maybe maybe we've got something here with this guy that will be okay. And I mean, those hopes were immediately torn to shreds in two plays. The, the nice thing, at least, was that Shanahan pulled him out right after that, you know, and, and didn't keep it going. I, I have nightmares from that game against the Packers last year where poor Greg Maven just got picked on for, I felt like, the whole entire half. Right. And that game went down the tubes. At least they pulled the red and they were able to pull out the game. But, I mean, he's going to have a bigger role going forward, and I hope he's right. I hope he can just laugh it off and, and play better, because if not, that's a vulnerability for sure. And now, what what's one of the things the Niners, or what would you do to help limit that? Obviously, it's going to be a weakness. Uh, I don't see them playing. Whatever, whoever replaces Witherspoon probably won't play as well as Witherspoon has. And I bring that up because the Niners so far have been one of the teams that have blitzed as rarely as any. Do you think they're going to blitz more to ensure that there's pressure on that quarterback or do you see them still dropping seven back into coverage well it is going to stress everybody else out on that defense i think in a perfect world they would love to be able to say to their d-line hey guys you've been giving it giving us great effort so far but we need more from you because you got to compensate for that so they'd love to be able to just get that extra pass rush from the defensive line i don't think they're going to i don't think it's fair to ask more from the d-line than what they've given you so far so i agree with you i think they are going to have to blitz their linebackers a little more they're going to have to sort of get creative the one sort of advantage that they do have is you know where the target is so at least they know where the you know they know where guys are going to attack. So you can sort of plan for that a little as a defensive coordinator. You can throw the safety over the top and, and do those kind of things. But yeah, they're going to have to blitz more, I think, because the defensive line is doing all it can do. And then they've been absolutely great so far. Now, I actually wouldn't mind seeing Quan Alexander blitz because that dude is a madman. He is everywhere. And speaking of Quan, that, that's obviously been a big pickup. It, it was criticized when... Uh, it happened when they signed him to such a large deal coming back from that knee injury. Just how impressive. I mean, where would you put him in terms of the linebackers in the league so far this season with how well he's done in coverage and everything else? He has been all over the place. I mean, he had the interception against Cincinnati. You know, he's covering he's covering the receiver like 25, 30 yards down the field. It was fantastic. And he was right there. He was smothering Eifert. It was incredible. He has been a, such a huge part of that defense in combination with Warner in the middle. I think that's key too. them working together because they can do it all. They're fast enough to handle coverage and they fill the gaps in the run game. They can go sideline to sideline. I think Quan Alexander has been as good as any linebacker in the league this season, save for Khalil Mack, who's just on another level and maybe Luke Keekley. But for what they asked Quan Alexander to do, I think he's been outstanding. And I think, that first game against Tampa Bay would have looked a hell of a lot different if he didn't get thrown out for that hit on Jameis Winston in the first quarter. For the last question here, I, I wanted to bring up something that I think is probably going to be what a lot of a lot of pundits and the type are going to be talking about through the Niners bye week. They're three and zero, yes, but those three opponents have combined for a one and eight record, so that could lead to a lot of people saying they're pretenders still. For you, how real is that three and zero record? Look, Bill Parcells said a long time ago, you are what your record says you are. Have they played the toughest schedule in the league? No. But who have the Dallas Cowboys played? They're 3-0. and Go look at who the Dallas Cowboys have played. They played Washington. They played, uh, what, the New York Giants, I think. And then they played Miami. I mean, you know, you play who's on your schedule. Do I think the 49ers are the best 3-0 and team in the league? No, not right now. I absolutely don't. 
but they're undefeated and they're undefeated for a reason. You know, you don't win a church raffle to get these wins. You have to earn them and they've done it. And, and yeah, it hasn't always been pretty, but that's where they are right now. Look, Jim Harbaugh never went three and out with the 49ers. Okay. Like let's give them some credit here. This is a new era and they've got a defense that's playing well right now. Kyle Shanahan is a freaking genius on offense. And I think they've got a quarterback who's getting better and who knows how to handle late game situations and has shown it really throughout his entire 49ers tenure. As the game goes along and gets closer to the end, Jimmy Garoppolo gets better. And if, as a fan, what more can you ask for? Rob Guerrera of NBC Sports Radio and NBCSN's Pro Football Talk Live with Mike Florio and Rob. Before we go, man, I have to ask you one thing. And I want to put you on the spot here. All right. Do you have any funny Sim slash Florio stories for us before you go? I mean, you got to have, you got to have a few, right? <laughs> Do I have any funny Sims Florio stories? I mean, here's the thing. There's always, this is what I always tell people. There's two shows. There's the show that you see that goes out over the air. And there's the show that takes place between the segments during the commercials. And I have a ton of good Florio Sim stories. Unfortunately, I can't repeat any of them <laughs> because uh, because Chris Sims, well, let's just say Chris Sims and the FCC don't necessarily go together in terms of what they think you should say in front of a microphone. <laughs> but I will tell you that Sims is, there's he's a thousand percent authentic. Like the person you see in front of the microphone is exactly the same person he is. And one thing I particularly enjoy is when they're actually in the same room, which doesn't happen too often, but when they're in the same room, I like that Sims goes out of his way to give Mike at least one good shot right to the chest. Just, <laughs> you know, 80% power. Just bam, right to the chest. You know, Florio likes to give me some, he likes to hassle me a little bit. So I always enjoy that when Chris gets him back for me. Awesome stuff, man. Awesome stuff. So why don't you tell what people can find you on Twitter? I'm on at stats on fire on Twitter. Uh, I love to argue, which is pretty much what Twitter was designed for. So hit me up anytime, Niner stuff, other stuff. I'm always here for you. I would love to, uh, at some point get into the Eli Manning hall of fame debate. That's, that's a hot one that it doesn't really, <laughs> it doesn't relate to the 49ers, but I think it's, it's just such an interesting thing. Like just king of the mediocre quarterbacks. Right. But, uh, that's, that's a story for another Thank time. Thank you. Thank you. All right, Stats. Thank you so much for joining us today. uh, And uh, best of luck. And we will definitely check you out on uh, PFT Live. Thank you. Hope to do it again soon. And thanks again to Rob Guerrero for joining us. And Levin, really, there's so much to talk about in this game and so much that Rob highlighted that I want to discuss. And first and foremost is Jimmy Garoppolo. Obviously, this is the biggest... The biggest story that surrounds the 49ers is the weekly Jimmy Garoppolo watch. And he was great. I feel like I agree with Rob when he said that this was Jimmy's best game. And it's not going to show up on the stat sheet, unfortunately, because you're going to see the two interceptions, one touchdown, the two interceptions, neither of which really, in my opinion, were his fault. But you're going to see that and you're going to be like, oh, well, he didn't have that great of a game. But if you actually break it down, he was avoiding blitzes. He was taking hits. He was delivering, standing in the pocket and getting punished and delivering the ball on time. And he made the, the game-winning throw to Dante Pettis. Oh, my gosh. What a throw. That was a complete trust throw to a spot. And Pettis got there and fitted between two defenders. I thought that those guys picked it off. When I saw it on TV, I was like, oh, my God. I, I literally yelled, I was, oh, my God. But then Pettis came away with it, and it was just perfectly placed. Like I really feel like every week, Jimmy's kind of getting more and more comfortable in this offense. And it's not going to show in the statistics, but we'll show in the little intangible things that he does. 
Right. And it's not just him, too. I mean, getting the timing with the wide receivers, which is partially with him, but you got a lot of new wide receivers that weren't here when Jimmy was last healthy. And mm-hmm. the ones that were here, he didn't get much time with before going down with injury last season. So there's a lot of timing, especially in this offense. And Jimmy's getting better and better at that. And like you said, just building that confidence, getting smoother, getting better at making those reads. There were a lot of uh, plays when I went back and rewatched the game where if Jimmy didn't have that quick release and abil- and quick ability to read a defense, you know, I would say nine out of 10 quarterbacks starting in this league would have been sacked mm-hmm. just because even if they're capable of making the read fast enough, they can't get the ball out of their hands or vice versa. They, they have a quick release, but they're not very good at reading a defense. He has both. And there were a lot, I mean, there were multiple where there was a free shot by a defender. You know, they came unblocked because Pittsburgh was blitzing more guys than we had blocking on a lot of plays. And Jimmy was able to, even in play action, have his back to the defense and the play unfolding, turn around, make his first read instantaneously. And then he has that, he has his normal throw where his feet are planted and he, and he does his follow through, which is still quick, but a little bit longer. And then he has that quick one where he almost like slingshots it out of his hand. And he had a lot, a lot of those throws. I, there were three or four of them specifically that come to mind where he was able to get it out, slingshot it, and get a completion, some mm-hmm. of which were 20 yards down the field. It, that is what Jimmy brings that no other quarterback on this roster and very few quarterbacks in the league bring. Yeah, and you heard stats talk about how every once in a while Jimmy will make that oh no throw. But you see these elite level throws that he makes, like that the elite quarterbacks can only make, like and and those far outnumber the oh no throws. And I think that that all of that is what the Niners saw in him and what they continue to see in him. And that's what makes him the man. Like I don't think that you're gonna even if Jimmy throws like if he throws, you know, 16 or more picks or whatever, I don't think it's gonna be one of those things where Nick Mullins is gonna be warming up. I think that's they know that Jimmy's going to go through growing pains. They know that like, first of all, like none of those interceptions were his fault. I mean, like the running backs were absolutely killing them. And before I get into that, uh, just to finish up on Jimmy, they know that, that he's going to go through growing pains. They know that this guy is a winner. He's 11 and two as a starter in his career. And if you ask yourself for any quarterback, if you take the the name away from him and, and name him quarterback X, if quarterback X gives you 11 wins in his first 13 starts, you're going to take that deal anytime. doesn't matter who the quarterback is, right? So really, that's what you have to look at. I said this last week on the podcast, that they just look better when Jimmy is at the helm. The entire team looks better. The entire team plays with more confidence, and that that continues to hold true. He's never lost a game at home, and his his road record is better than any other 49ers quarterback since Colin Kaepernick. So really... There's a lot to unpack here with Jimmy, and we continue to do it every week, and we don't want to kind of beat a dead horse every week and just talk about this, but I just think it's so fascinating. His growth has been so fascinating, and right. I, I continue to, to hope to see it. Yeah, and there's one, one stat that I'd like to bring up with Jimmy before we move on, and he, it, it's a stat that elite quarterbacks almost always have to excel at, and a lot of times it's a stat that they excel at and average to bad quarterbacks don't, and that's how you perform when you're blitzed. Great quarterbacks are able to recognize the blitz pre-snap and know I've got to get this ball out. Jimmy Garoppolo is one of them. And he had plenty of years to learn from the guy who might be the best ever 
in terms of pit, picking up a blitz and getting the ball out, and that's Tom Brady. Um, but I saw that he was 16 of 20 in week three against the blitz. That's how often Pittsburgh blitzed him. He, he was blitzed 20 times. He had 33 total pass attempts, and he completed 16 of those throws. I think it was 171 yards. One of his interceptions did come on that, but we've touched on that. The interceptions, at the very least, are only partially on him as they hit uh, the receiver's hands on both both picks, but only one of the picks came on a blitz. And that 16 of 20 combines with the previous week against Cincinnati where he was 10 of 10. So for the last two weeks, he's 26 of 30 when blitzed. He's one of those quarterbacks you blitz at your own peril. And that's a problem for opposing defenses because if you give the Niners offense time, your George Kittles and others are going to get open. Kyle Shanahan's scheming and great play calling is going to have time to develop. And you're going to have an accurate quarterback who can deliver the ball. But at the same time, if you blitz him, he's going to destroy you as well. So it's kind of a pick your poison. And that's something that uh, I thought should be mentioned before we move on from Jimmy. Yeah, I agree. And as we move on from him, he didn't get much help in the first half. The, the running backs in particular were killing them. Brita didn't drop a pass last year. And that's one of the things that I mentioned uh, constantly in the offseason. I thought he should have been RB1 and, and he deservedly has that spot. But he dropped a, a, a pretty easy screen pass. Was it perfect? No. But dropped it right into TJ Watt's hands. And Mostert fumbled an easy, an easy pitch play because he took his hand, uh, eye off the ball, then had another fumble in the red zone. This group was really, really ragged, and they seemed like they, they weren't really concentrating at the beginning. And, and I think that this is something that they're going to have to address during the bye week. Like, I don't care if you have to put a football in their hands the entire week. Like, you know what they do in high school? Like, they make you walk around, like, the school with the football in your hands, and, and people just kind of <laughs> swat at it in the, in the hallways. Yeah. I don't care if that's what you have to do. But these guys need to need ball security is key because they're a good team. Like I'm comfortable with saying the Niners are a good team now at this point, but they're not good enough to, to overcome five turnovers every game, right? This will happen once in like a couple of years, maybe where they play a game like this and they, and they win it. So you, you can't be doing this every game with the thought that, okay, well, our defense will bail us out. And I, and I think that hopefully they'll, they'll clean that up. Right. The Niners offense has hit that level. I think, uh, Pretty confidently, I'm willing to say this, at least. They've hit that level where the only way they're going to be truly stopped for a full game is if they stop themselves. They're talented enough. They're obviously schemed well enough. They are going to move the ball, and they're going to put up points. The only way they don't is if they get in their own way. They fumble the ball. They drop passes. They allow sacks because they don't pick up the blitz you know, they don't read the defense correctly, things like that. They've hit that level, and that's the level they need to sustain because that's a championship level. Championship-type offenses are ones that they're the only ones that can stop themselves. And the Niners are, in my opinion, there. It's a little early for others who probably be saying that. I can understand national pundits not wanting to go there yet, but if you look at it all across the board, the Niners can dominate you. They can dominate on the ground, obviously. They're probably going to end up in the staying in the top three for rushing yards as a team, and the only teams above them are going to be the teams like Baltimore, where the mm -hmm. quarterback does so much of it. In terms of running back yards, the Niners are in all likelihood going to lead the league. And then you look at that pass game, which is really where Kyle Shanahan kind of excels. There's, there's 
quite a few coaches out there that can devise a run game. There's very few offensive minds out there that can consistently throw you off in the pass game and get guys wide open. And Kyle Shanahan is one of them. So that offense needs to stay out of their own way. Guys like Mostert need to hang on to the ball. You know, Jeff Wilson's had fumble issues in the past. He hasn't yet. He needs to maintain that. He doesn't need to go back to being a fumble problem. And then obviously Brady needs to catch the passes. It wasn't the best of passes. It was behind him a little bit. But if your hands get on it, make the catch. And at the very least, don't pop it up in the air for an easy interception. Yeah, you got to make that catch. Yeah, as an NFL player, you have to make that catch. And and luckily, they really it didn't really hurt them. And when the Steelers went down and they only got field goals and, and didn't get anything out of a couple of the drives, I was like, okay, the Niners have a chance at this, right? And the defense was playing so fierce and they were playing so fast and they were playing so well. To me, this is this is the making of an elite defense. This is how these sorts of defenses are built with winning these ugly games and being able to take over an entire game by themselves, right? And, and set up the offense to make a couple plays to win. And that's really what it was, was that Mason Rudolph only made, really made two throws the entire game. He made the throw to Juju Smith-Schuster and the throw to Dante Johnson at the very end and on a, on a broken play by Jason Verrett. So really, I think this defense is, is not only, they're, they're kind of, they kind of got a swagger about them too. Like the defenses that Vic Fangio was fielding when the Niners were winning games under Jim Harbaugh, that defense had a swagger about them. Like you knew that they were going to take over games and you knew that they were kind of unstoppable. And this, this defense kind of has the makings of that here and there. Like you see the way that Richard Sherman and Quan Alexander and DeForest Buckner and the, the energy that they bring. D Ford, even in his limited role on, on Sunday, like they, they brought a ton of energy. Akilah Witherspoon has been playing out of his mind and, and it sucks that he got hurt because he's been literally playing the best ball of his entire career. So the, the sky's the limit for these guys. And, and I really hope that they can continue to build off of the success. And one of the things that you, one of the stats that you mentioned that I really liked was the fact that they blitz less than any team in the league. Basically, they, I believe they're, they're blitzing about 10% of the time or just over 10% of the time, which is bottom of the league. And that means they're getting there with four. And that means that, that all of the other guys are back in coverage. And that means more chances for turnovers uh, like they have in the first three games. So really, really happy with how the defense is played. Yeah, and you mentioned Mason Rudolph, how he, he really only had two passes. No, he really only had two passes. I saw a stat tweeted out. I believe it was an NFL official stat. I could be wrong. I can't remember who tweeted it. I don't have it pulled up in front of me right now. But it was... Mason Rudolph completed two passes more than one yard down from the line of scrimmage the entire game. It's the first time that has happened since wow. 2011 when a very well-known quarterback who is not very good, <laughs> in my opinion, Tim <laughs> Tebow did it. And they actually won that game. Amazing enough, I think it was 17-13. He included that in the tweet that they actually won a game where their quarterback completed two passes more than a yard down from the line of scrimmage. So. That defense is elite, at least through three games. Granted, they're not the best offenses in the league, but I mean, Winston, the last two weeks for Tampa Bay has been putting up the numbers. That Tampa Bay offense is better than they looked against San Francisco. Mm -hmm. Same with Cincinnati. Cincinnati put up 400 and something yards of offense against the Seattle defense in Seattle. 
So there, there's a little bit there of the Niners are making them look worse than they really are. And maybe at the end of the season, you're going to see that these first three o- games, the offenses were better than they looked against the Niners. And that's just because the Niners defense is so great. But it really comes down to that defensive line, in my opinion. Like you mentioned, they don't have to blitz. That is, it, it can't be understated how big of an advantage that is. When you're able to drop another guy into coverage, whether he's running you know, a zone in the middle of the field or, or just man coverage and allowing your safety to be free, it's a massive advantage. I mean, football is a numbers game. If you got more defenders in the area than offensive players, you're probably going to win. And the Niners are able to do that. And they're able to win at the line of scrimmage, having less guys rushing than blockers are there. And that is the difference that a Nick Boza and D Ford bring. They are the difference. They're the ones that have allowed. Obviously, I'm not saying DeForest Buckner isn't a great player. I'm not saying Eric Armstead hasn't been playing great. But they were here in previous years, and they weren't able to be as dominant. And it's because they didn't have the edge rushers to go with them. Now the Niners have the edge rushers to go with them. And to transition a little bit, that's why this bye week, in my opinion, is perfect timing. I hate early bye weeks. I think it's a disadvantage if you're going to be a playoff team because you're not as rested going into the playoffs unless you dominate and get a first week bye. It is an advantage to have a later season bye week, but the Niners getting this bye week when it hit is perfect timing because you got Nick Boza still a little bit hobbled from that ankle injury, should be 100% coming out of the bye week, and you got D Ford who really can't practice. He only played a uh, I think Rob mentioned it 16 plays because mm-hmm. he was really a third down specialist pass rusher. Well, now he gets a week to rest that knee. Maybe he can play more in that uh, fifth week, fourth game against Cleveland on Monday night. And then you also have the Witherspoon injury where he's going to miss one last game as it, instead of having a late season bye. It's perfect timing to get this defense to be able to stay at its elite level. And that is huge because that's what's really driving the team. Yeah, and you mentioned Nick Bosa, and man, he was so good. He was so good. He had seven hurries himself, seven in one game. I mean, it's been so long since the Niners have had that type of production out of anybody, out of any one of their uh, pass rushers, whatever you want to call them, defensive players, defensive linemen. It's been so long. And even though he's not necessarily getting there and the, the sack and tackle numbers will not show up and people will be like, oh, well, he's not putting up those numbers. It doesn't matter because he's collapsing the pocket several plays. Like Villanueva is an all pro left tackle and he absolutely put him in Mason Rudolph's lap several times. And that, that is really what I want. I want to disrupt the defense. I, they don't have to get there every time, but just force them into turnovers. And that's exactly what happened when Rudolph threw that pick, he was being flushed out of the pocket. D Ford and Buckner were right, right on him and had hands on him. And he, he escaped the pocket and he was trying to force it. And Quan Williams came up, came up with the pick. So that's what happens when you have an elite sort of defensive line. And I think they do. That's what happens is that you can force those turnovers. You can force quarterbacks into bad position into bad decisions. And you, you're allowed to play your defense without having to bring extra guys. You're allowed to play whatever coverage you want because you're not having to disguise looks and things like that. It's what you see is what you get. And I really think that's, that's why their coverage units are so good too, right? Like take away that, that those long plays, right? Like, first of all, I, I'm not even sure if Jason Verrett's going to see the field ever again for the 49ers. I really not. Like, I really think that 
they're just keeping him on the roster just as like, okay, if everybody really is out for the game and nobody can play anymore and, and Wisnowski can't play corner either, then Jason Verrett can go in, right? Like they, that's basically it. Like they just want him for insurance. I don't think that he's going to start the next game. It's just because really like, and I know it's not fair to him because he had basically two really bad plays, but at the same time, it's like, you, you are not like Emmanuel Mosley. You're not DJ Reed. You're a pro bowler. You're, you're at what the time that he got hurt, he was one of the best corners in the league. So, you know, they, that's what they were expecting again. And they didn't get that. And he's a liability at that point. So really like what it comes down to is that they, and I don't want to pick on Jason Brett too much because they wanted everything. And, and that may have just been like him getting his feet wet, but really what it comes down to is that they can clean all of these things up. And I think that what Kaz Shanahan wanted to do was just get to the bye week as healthy as possible. And obviously with Witherspoon being out, they they weren't able to do that entirely, but that was the only major injury that that's going to linger past the bye week. So they have two weeks to decide now what to do opposite Sherman. They have two weeks to decide what to do at left tackle. And Justin School played really well. Like honestly speaking, he's a rookie man. Like he's not a high round draft pick. He's a low round draft pick. A rookie, a guy that was a project that did, they didn't even think would be able to to make the team uh, on on uh, on game days. They had Sean Coleman in that spot, but. He played well in, in his in his limited um, availability to get ready for this game. Like, I mean, they got Sam Young to back him up, but really this week, this bye week is going to be used to flush a lot of those things out. And I think that that's what the game plan was. And maybe that's why they came out a little bit flat on offense because they were really just thinking about getting through this week, getting another week closer to getting Joe Staley back and Tevin Coleman back and Trent Taylor back and now Witherspoon back. Like, all of these guys, like, it's almost like you're adding when they come back at various points in the season, adding a bunch of free agents, right? Like they play on your team, obviously. Right. But like, it's kind of like that, isn't it? Like where you add a bunch of guys later on in the season that weren't on your roster. It's like, you're getting all these additions to your team as if you were making trades, but you're not having to give up anything for them because you're, they're your own guys. And I am really looking forward to that when it, when it comes time. Right. And one that you didn't mention is Jimmy Ward. Uh, you know, he, he's not exactly the most popular player that to put it lightly on the team. But he was a, uh, I don't know if he was a healthy scratch this week. They didn't list him as so, but people were thinking he was healthy uh, prior to being inactive. That to me is going to be the big decision because with Tavarius Moore playing the way he did, which he's really the one person that played a majority of the game that didn't have a very good game, uh, in my opinion, defensively. Uh, that I mentioned the Juju play uh, when Rob was on with us. It, it was just a terrible play by him. He had the angle. I mean, you, you can see it. I've seen multiple replays, you know, seen the all 22 where it zoomed out. He had every chance of getting Juju. He just took a direct line. I don't know if he was thinking the ball was going to go over and he was going to have a chance at a pick or what, because he had no chance of getting there before the ball got to Juju. I mean, he, he wasn't even close to him yet. And he took an angle that allowed Juju to get get the sideline. And I'm a big more fan. I, I think he has a lot of potential. But if that's what he's going to do, it, does Jimmy Ward get the starting spot? To me, if that's what he's doing, absolutely. Because I can live with a safety not getting there in time to break up the pass but gets the tackle. I can't live with a free safety who takes such a horrible angle that he turns what would have just been a 25, 30 yard completion into a really long touchdown. That is what he's done. 
in week three at least. So to me, I wouldn't be surprised to see Jimmy Ward starting coming out of the bye week, but maybe because of the injury to uh, Witherspoon, they prefer to keep Jimmy Ward more as a slot corner and push him into that role to where a Kawan Williams and himself, uh, Ward being, could fill in on the outside if needed. Somebody's going to have to not dress. Mm-hmm. I doubt all those guys can dress. You know, I mentioned Jimmy Ward didn't dress. Do you not dress Ferret and then have Jimmy Ward as an option? Or do you not dress Quan Williams and have Jimmy Ward take over the slot completely? Or do you have Jimmy Ward take over that free safety spot and not dress more so that you have more options at the cornerback spot? That, to me, is a big question coming out of the bye week. I think what's going to happen is that Verrett won't dress and they'll have Ward available, available, maybe not starting. And they, they may start DJ Reed opposite uh, Sherman and see how that goes. Uh, I know, I know D, DJ Reed's a little bit undersized, but he's a better outside corner than he is a slot corner. Right. And he, and he showed that last year and either that, or you're going to have Ward play the outside because then if you sit Quan Williams, who's a really good slot corner, by the way, I think he's, he's one of the better ones in the league. If you sit Quan Williams, then you're basically having to replace two positions, right? You're replacing Quan Williams and you're replacing that outside corner. So I think that it, the simplest thing to do is that they'll have Ward, if he's active, uh, be one of the guys in the rotation for outside corner uh, and, and just leave everything else as is. I know Moore struggled on the back end, and I think that that's the price that they paid for not addressing safety this past year. Right. And that's they're, they're paying for that now. And I really think that what's going to happen is that Jimmy Ward is kind of like the X factor here. He'll, he'll be in the mix at, uh, at uh, the other cornerback position opposite Sherman. Now let's talk about game balls. We have a lot of options here, right? Like you can go any number of ways um, and any number of sort of uh, um, players who had pretty good games, uh, specifically on the defensive side, so I'll let you go again this week. I'll do the, it's a gentleman's game. I'll let you go ahead and uh, give yours first. Well, I got a quick question for you. Are coaches allowed? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, you can give one to the hot dog guy if you want, right? This isn't like, <laughs> <laughs> this isn't like, they're not actually, we're not sending them a signed ball. Can you imagine like they get the signed 49ers web zone ball from me and you? <laughs> but, hey, here you, yo, Jimmy, just put this on your mantle. Right? Here you go. <laughs> I'd love but, to film when they received the ball. They just go, who? <laughs> David, David, let's make it happen. Let's get them to the ball. <laughs> All right. All right, well, man. Anyways, because coaches are allowed, I'm going with the defensive coordinator, Robert Salah, because there was a lot of criticism. He might be the most criticized person, period, uh, player or not, since this era started with Lynch and Shanahan. And he got the tools this year, and a lot of people said it's a make-or-break year for him because he has no more excuses. Well, the defense has been dominating, as we've mentioned. So for me, I think it's time that he gets a game ball. All right, fair enough. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with the obvious. This is this was Jimmy Garoppolo's best game as a 49er. I mean, he had he had two interceptions that really weren't his fault. He had a clutch throw at the end of the game. Like, how many times have we seen quarterbacks mess that up? Baker Mayfield messed that up at the end of their game. So really like Jimmy was able to hold the fort until the guys around him settled down a little bit. Defense obviously had a huge part in that too with, with creating those turnovers. But 
man, I feel like he, he stood in there. He took a lot of hits. He delivered a lot of really elite level throws. It won't show up in his statistics. He did throw for over 200 yards, which he has in every single start except for one in his career with the 49ers. And he completed 70% of his passes. I mean, what do you, what do you want? What else do you want out of a guy? Right. And on top of that, 11 and two as a starter, nine and two with the 49ers. Like he's been fantastic. Um, and you can't say anything less than that, because if you look at statistics and you try to point out his flaws, you're just not watching what we're watching. Right. So Jimmy Garoppolo is going to get my game ball. Fair enough. I, th- I think there's a very big distinction. I think the people that are criticizing Jimmy, uh, especially after this game, are people who are box score watching. They didn't mm-hmm. watch it live. They watched a box score updates. They weren't able to watch an actual game feed. And they looked at the final stats and go, oh, he must have been mediocre or bad. He's still got a lot to prove. And then there's the people that either watched it from the stands or especially watched it on TV who go, he played his best game as a Niner. I mean, w- all three of us have not said that. Rob said it when he was on, and you just said it, and I just said it. it. I think it's his best game as a Niner. It's better than the Jacksonville game from his first year. Um, c- because of the Houdini acts he did, the clutch factor that he he had, and the fact that he didn't get rattled when his receivers caused two interceptions. Mm-hmm. He He's really stepped up, and he's the quarterback this team needs, to put it simply. Well, there you have it. So we're actually not going to do a, a prediction this week, obviously, because uh, I predict the, they don't lose. <laughs> yeah, I predict they're going to stay three. No, I predict that they. I, in fact, I bet I, I would bet my life on the fact that the Niners will not lose to the bye week. I know the bye, the bye is undefeated. I know that too, but but the Niners will not lose to the bye week. So uh, I'm going to say the Niners win uh, seventy nine thousand to zero against the bye week. I'm going to say that that would be my prediction. Um, but um, any last thoughts before we sign off? Bring on Cleveland. Let's do it. All right. So for Levin Black, this is Zane Nackvi with another episode of the 49ers Web Zone No Huddle Podcast. As always, sponsored by the QBSneak.com. And remember, for accurate predictions on any NFL matchup and thought-provoking NFL content that can keep your fantasy teams or confidence pools up to speed, Head to thecubesnake.com. We'll see you guys next time.